HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Will Harris, and today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures. Good afternoon and welcome to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. My show is sponsored today by White Oak Pastures, and you've got to love that guy's voice. I mean, please. Anyway, my guest today, I'm really pleased to announce, is Jean Halloran. Jean is the Executive Director of Food Policy Initiatives. Did I say that right, Jean? Yeah. <laughs> She has worked on food safety and sustainability issues at the Yonkers Office of Consumers Union for the last 25 years. So we know that this person is completely unbiased. She frequently speaks at conferences and to the media, that's where I met her, who tap her expertise on subjects ranging from mercury and tuna fish to pending food safety legislation. She also works with consumer organizations globally and helped to develop international standards for safety assessment of genetically engineered food. That will be another program at the Codex Alimentarius Commission. Um, Jean, thank you so much for coming down from Columbia County on this incredibly beautiful Sunday afternoon. I really appreciate it. Um, Consumers Union, this is what got me going on this, is that I was the recipient because I'm a consumers, I love Consumers Union. I get the magazine, I get the health letter, um, and I'm on their email list, and I recently got uh, a petition from Consumers Union, and this, as you and I discussed, is basically an unprecedented step in the Consumers Union history of issuing a petition that demands the end to sub-therapeutic antibiotic use in food animals. What prompted this? How come you guys got so wound up? Right. Well, we have a crisis, and and nobody much is doing anything about it. The people who should be doing something about it, the FDA and the USDA, uh, are not stepping up to the plate. Uh, the latest uh, was... This spring, when FDA announced their long-awaited policy uh, on FDA, on antibiotics and animal feed, and they said, we have a serious problem here, resistance is growing, we have to control all these antibiotics that are going into animals, we're calling on the pharmaceutical industry to voluntarily stop selling antibiotics uh, for growth promotion. And then they said... 
not only was it voluntary, but they said nothing uh, about antibiotics for disease prevention. That's, that's still okay, even under their voluntary program. So we thought that we needed to do something else, and we decided to try just going direct to the consumer and say, and direct to the supermarket chains and say, okay, the time has come. We should only be buying, selling and buying meat and poultry raised without antibiotics. Um, what has been the industry response to this? Has, uh, have you found that supermarkets are, are open to this? I, actually, let me roll back for one second on this. Because I, I want to I stress the fact that these are voluntary guidelines issued by the FDA, that this has been an ongoing controversy since 1972. I did a bunch of reading about this. And that since 1972, they've been worried about this very issue of antibiotic-resistant superbugs emerging from the use of uh, you know, this excessive use of antibiotics, not only in animal feed, but subtherapeutically to prevent disease in confined area feeding operations. And, uh, you know, antibiotics actually turn up in all kinds of other places that one doesn't expect. But let's talk about that. So, so since the 1970s, many studies have been done, many papers have been written, most of them signal that routine anti- administration of these antibiotics is dangerous to human health, and other countries have already banned the practice why hasn't the FDA and the USDA taken a stronger stance against pharmaceuticals who are making huge money on this and livestock industry, which is also making money because they obviously can grow more animals in a smaller space with this policy? Right. Well, it's, it's quite extraordinary because FDA was ready to ban um, penicillin and a couple of other antibiotics for use for growth promotion in animals back in the 1970s. Uh, and in fact, they they published a rule on this, and Congress stepped in um, at the behest of the livestock industry and the drug companies, and told them that uh, they should stand down. And this needed more study. This was in the seventies. This is in the seventies. Right. Right. This is this is when I might add uh, Consumer Reports first took a stand on this issue and supported FDA uh, banning it a couple, you know three decades ago. Right. Um, and so they did a study, and the study said, "Yep, there's a problem here. Uh, we're going to have a serious problem of antibiotic resistance. Bacteria uh, will become immune to these drugs. We shouldn't do this. We should ban them." Okay, let's let's talk for a second about what when we talk about antibiotic resistance and superbugs. Let, let's define that. What are we talking about exactly here? Right. Well, what you have, uh, you know, let's just take salmonella okay. uh, as as one example of something that occurs in chicken and pork and beef that can make you sick. Mm-hmm. And uh, eggs, by the way. And eggs. And right. eggs. Um, if if this bug is exposed to an antibiotic, the antibiotic will kill off most of the salmonella in its path and leave only a very, very few of them that happen to be immune. Uh, it's, it's the process of, of evolution at work. If you keep dousing an environment with antibiotics, as, as you would in a confined animal feeding operation where you put the antibiotics in the feed and the water, you're constantly getting rid of the susceptible bacteria and leaving only those who are immune. 
And it doesn't take that long before, all of a sudden, most of the bacteria that you're dealing with are immune to, let's say, penicillin. Um, and as, as this has happened and we've used other antibiotics, they start to become immune to other ones at, as well. Well, the cephalosporin class of drugs is another one that was recently taken off the list. Am I right? Yes. Um, all of this, Keflex, Cephalexin, all of those drugs which are commonly used to treat human illness have recently been withdrawn from the livestock market, if but I'm not mistaken. In, in, in or is some, that, again, a Some drugs in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's another problem here, which is that uh, bacteria actually will exchange uh, genetic material um, in in a very uh, sort of um, profligate way. Uh, <laughs> I like that use of that right. word. <laughs> profligate. Uh, uh, they, they uh, you know, it's not just two bacteria making more bacteria. The bacteria tend to, uh, uh, can easily exchange genetic material on something called plasmids. Uh-huh. And so you start to get multiple uh, uh, resistances on one plasmid. So while the environment may be just selecting for resistance to um, cephalosporin, you'll also pick up resistance to other ones uh, along the way. Fantastic. Incredible. Profligate. Right. Promiscuous. Promiscuous. I think we, could even say. we could say that about these bacteria. We could say bacteria. promiscuous about right. bacteria. Right. So, and that results in, uh, for example, there are several strains of when. Okay, just to roll it back to last summer when Cargill had a, um, what was it, three hundred thousand pounds of ground oh, turkey? Way more, more than, than that. that. I believe it was, was thirty-six million. Oh God! Pounds yeah. of ground okay. turkey. Yeah, thirty-six million pounds of ground turkey were withdrawn from the market by the Cargill uh, meat packing company, um, which, by the way, is a company that takes food safety very seriously and yes. has uh, implemented a lot of really radical steps to make sure that these things don't happen. But nevertheless, um, their one particular plant was impregnated with a Salmonella. I think it was Heidelberg, um, which is. What you just described, an antibiotic-resistant strain of salmonella. Right. And there aren't just one. There are multiple, right? Yes, There's it was like resistant. Five or six? Yes, resistant to at least four different uh, antibiotics. And, and just to show you what a hard problem it is to deal with, they shut down that plant, yep. recalled everything, cleaned it out for four weeks, started production again, and the same bacteria showed up. And they had to shut it down again and go at it some more. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, I forget whether they opened it up again or whether they just abandoned the whole operation. But I believe I, eventually they did. I do remember. I mean, I read all the trade things, you know, yeah. quite religiously. Meetingplace.com is my favorite. Oh, did somebody just knock on? No. Okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Okay. So, um, so the fact is, is that other countries uh, in Western Europe, for example, have in fact banned this practice of subtherapeutic use, not only in animal feed, but as disease prevention. And yes. so what will happen here? I mean, we're continuing to we export a lot of meat, especially pork. What's going to happen with our trading partners? Are they going to start developing these same issues around um, anti- antibiotic-resistant uh, bugs? Or are they going to... Well, we already have problems with our, our trading partners. I mean, Europe won't take our beef because we treat it with hormones, and mm-hmm. and they refuse. Um, 
And uh, some countries were refusing pork because of the ractopamine, which is a growth promotant, not an antibiotic, but still. That's right. And it's, an, it's another uh, growth promotant. And uh, the antibiotics are also growth promoters. And in fact, we're somewhat concerned that if antibiotics are phased out, uh, some of the producers may shift to ractopamine, which started out life as an asthma drug and causes uh, it. They just kind of accidentally found that it helps animals put on muscle mass. Mm-hmm. And um, but it also causes uh, heart palpitations. Oh, yeah, it makes the animals, I mean, some animals get very sick from it, which right. is why, and I guess it stays in the animal's flesh, which is why some trading partners have refused yes. to accept that product. Um, I want to talk for just a second about residues, because yeah. there's a diff. we were talking earlier in the, before we started the show about um, what that means and, and what the implications of residues are and whether people should be worried about that. Now, Drover's Cattle Network, which is another one, by the way, people, Anyone can tune into these, um, especially like Drover's Cattle Network, uh, Meat and Poultry News. These are all free. Meetingplace.com is not free. They will make you pay, but it's worth the money. If you're really interested in what your meat, where it's coming from and who's growing it and what the people think about it. Um, But anyway, in Drover's Cattle Network, they ran an article recently complaining about a press release from Congresswoman Louise Slaughter, who is an upstate congresswoman from New York, who who is a biochemist and who is basically one of the very few members of Congress who has been championing the use of withdrawal of antibiotics from livestock for, oh, maybe four or five years now at least. Yes. Um, sadly, she does not return calls and her press agent has not responded to requests for interview, but she's still fighting the good fight. And among the um, points of the Drover's Cattle Network Uh, in their complaint was that by law, any person administering antibiotics to livestock must follow a withdrawal program and that the FDA and USDA have a coordinated surveillance program to monitor antibiotic residues. And then they go on to say how very few animals actually have that. So if there is no residue gene, should people be worried about residues in what they're buying? Or are we only supposed to be worried about the fact that bugs evolve? Right. Well, you can worry a little bit about the residues because uh, there are uh, what they call there are withdrawal times that they're supposed to observe, and there are tolerances that that the meat is supposed to be within, and um, and it can sometimes there are problems with uh, exceeding the tolerances, and there might be antibiotic residues, but that's actually not the big problem. Um, the big problem is the development of superbugs. What we're calling, when, when a bug becomes resistant to antibiotics. Like, like Salmonella Heidelberg that we were just right. talking about, or Salmonella Newport, or, or the big bad, bad daddy MRSA. Yes. Do you think that that evolved? I mean, I'll just take you off on a tangent for right. a second here, but do you think um, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, which is what MRSA stands for, is that coming from the use of antibiotics in livestock, or is that just because we overuse antibiotics in general? You know, it's it's one big genetic pool out there. It, it's very hard to isolate exactly where it came from. And in fact, there was an interesting study recently that, that showed that some methicillin-resistant um, Staph aureus went from people into pork. They, they traced it with, with uh, uh, genetic fingerprinting. And then went from the pork back to people. So um, 
so so we're, we're not uh, we're, we're we're one big we're one big you are what you eat you are you are what you eat right <laughs> and what it comes down to you and, are what you eat and and what you eat was formerly you so yeah. <laughs> so you really uh, we we can't act like these are two different worlds very and, interesting and, and scientists have have for decade, couple decades now, agreed that these are these are interactive uh, pools and and not that 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 you can't um, isolate them. Um, so so the the problem is um, you can you can end up with a superbug in your chicken, and this doesn't mean that it will necessarily kill you, but if you do, it can take longer to find a drug. You get sick. Normally, they treat you with antibiotics. It, it, it may not cure you. They may have to try another one. That may not cure you. You may have to try another one after that. So um, it, it becomes uh, more difficult to, to treat. And, um, you know, we, we have um, Center for Disease Con- Control estimates we have 3,000 deaths a year from foodborne illness. And that doesn't even come close to the number. I don't, I don't even know what the numbers are for people who suffer because it's so underreported. Yes, they, um, they estimate... But it's in the tens of thousands of people who... Oh, it, it's more than that. Yeah. Um, there are about 300,000 ca- cases that end up in the hospital every year. Jiminy. And over 30 million people are estimated to have uh, an illness that lasts m- more than 24 hours. So... Uh, it's like one in six people, and, th- and think of that, you know, if you think of you and your friends, you know, probably one in six had, you know, what people refer to as a stomach flu in the last uh, year or so, um, which can be pretty awful. Yep. Um, <laughs> I've had it. And, uh, you know, the, there really isn't any such thing as a stomach flu. It's almost always food poisoning. Right. Okay. On that note, we're going to take a very short break. Um, and come right back with Jean Halloran, the Executive Director of Food Policy Initiatives at Consumers Union. So stay tuned, folks. You don't want to miss the second half of this show. But right now we'll have a sponsor drop. You're listening to Dream Boat by Beast Make Bomb. White Oak Pastures is a 146-year-old multi-generational family farm that works in cooperation with nature to produce artisan meat that is safe, healthy, nutritious, and good to eat. Without fail, we ensure that our production practices are economically practical, ecologically sustainable, and that the animals are always humanely treated. We never falter in our determination to conduct our business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com.
Welcome back. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and in the studio with me today is Jean Halloran, the Executive Director of Food Policy Initiatives for the Consumers Union. So we know that this is an entity that is completely without bias. We love Consumer Union. It's probably one of the few, like, completely, I don't know, I think of it as, like, clean clean right. and yeah you know i mean it's just like they just do the science and right. it's, it's yeah you have to say consumer reports because some people don't reports. don't know that consumers union is the advocacy arm of consumer reports magazine right uh, but but you're right we take no corporate money for right. any purpose or reason whatsoever that's right so you know that what you're getting is like the straight dope and um and we're talking about doping up animals on antibiotics uh right now with gene and um one of the things that uh that uh in the while i was researching the for this program is um a recent letter to congress was assigned by 17 food animal production associations in response to the voluntary guidelines we discussed earlier in the show uh for pharmaceuticals uh to limit um the sale of antibiotics into animal feed this is like not even addressing the other issues, and also the voluntary guidelines of farmers in sell in using that kind of feed. Um, but anyway, seventeen of these food animal production associations that includes things like the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, the American Meat Institute. There's a lot of these people out there. Uh, the American Pork Board. There are many, many meat uh, associations, and I urge you all to look into them. I mean, if you eat meat, you really need to know what's going on there. Um, so they say in this letter to Congress, the issue, this is a quote, the issue of antibiotic resistance is complex and cannot be addressed with simple solutions. This is referring to withdrawing it from the feed. At best, such solutions are ineffective, really, and in some situations could make the problem worse. What the hell are they talking about, Gene? Well, it is true that it's a complex problem, um, and there's probably everybody has heard somehow or other that we need to reduce the use of antibiotic in humans, which is absolutely true. But what's amazing is that of, of the antibiotics uh, produced and sold in the United States, only 20% are used on people, and 80% are used on animals. Can I point out that this, this is the very same letter disputed that fact, actually? Yes, well, they don't they actually... They split a hair. They, they, they split a hair. They say, well, not all those antibiotics are medically important. And they try, so they're trying to make the case that some antibiotics are important for keeping us healthy and others are not. But... Um, that that ignores the the problem of cross selection and multiple resistance that we were talking about, which results from the promiscuity of bacteria, as we were discussing and plasmids. before, and plasmids. Right. <laughs> uh, I love so, it when I learn new words. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so, so it it's hard to you can't really it's very hard to separate out and say that certain antibiotics are important in human medicine and others are really not so important. Um, they're all important one way or another because you do get cross-selection. Um, then they say, well, if we don't use this, then our animals will get sicker. And, and that brings you to the question of this, the situation, the circumstances in which they're raised. So... If you have thousands or tens of thousands of, of hogs all squished in together 
um, in, in, in a small facility or chickens all squished in together. Yes, you've kind of created the, the, the circumstances in which disease can easily be transmitted from one to another. I believe it's called a vector. Vector, right. <laughs> right, another, another, good, another good term. Yes, excellent. Um, and so if you just withdraw antibiotics and change nothing else, yes, probably your disease rates will go up. Um, but what they found in Europe is pretty interesting. Uh, it, they did not, in fact, have to even totally get rid of mass production of chicken and poultry. What they found was that in poultry houses, they had to really thoroughly clean them between batches. Mm-hmm. And that this pretty much kept these disease problems under control. And in fact, uh, a, a good percentage of um, of Poultry mass production operations in the United States have already cut back significantly on their antibiotic use and discovered that they can do that just by when you take the chickens out, they're ready for slaughter, you thoroughly clean the facility, and then you observe uh, a lot of, of san- good sanitation. Um, so, so you have to change your, your, your growing practices. Um, in, in, an, in an article on pork, uh, they found that in Sweden and Denmark, the vulnerable time was the weaning piglets mm-hmm. when they're when they're first weaned, and that th- they tend to get a, a diarrhea-like ins- disease. Well, if you apparently if you delay weaning by just a week, you can cut way down on the disease and the need for giving them antibiotics. So, so yes, you do have to change your husbandry practices. Uh, but but perhaps not as radically as you might think. Well, as radically as I think probably many large livestock producers fear. And of course, <clears throat> let's not forget that antibiotics cost money. I mean, it's not cheap to treat your animal with antibiotics. So um, clearly, they have, you know, they there's a there's a cost benefit analysis that has to go on in the livestock industry. And I've had enough um, sort of commercial livestock. Um, experts on here to know and even they will say themselves that people are just incredibly slow to embrace change and they feel like what has been done in the past that's been successful is going to continue to be successful and anything that threatens that threatens their very and you know let's be honest very slim margins i mean the margins on growing animal proteins uh in this country are pretty small these guys are not getting rich uh these especially these ranchers and the you know the stockyard guys i mean the stocker what they call it, the cow-calf operation, then the stalker guys, and then the feedlot guys, they all have a pretty small margin of profit on what they're doing. So for them to lose an animal or a bunch of animals is is really a disaster and and also reflects on them personally. I mean, they all take their jobs very seriously. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not in, I'm not interested in, in dumping on the guys who are raising the animals that we eat, but I am interested in raising public awareness. So to that end, let's talk a little bit about Trader Joe's and, and the Consumers Union um, initiative, with the, which we started the program with, with the petition and the way grocery stores have responded to your, um, you know, your battle cry to phase this out and phase in antibiotic-free meats. Right. Well, one of the things that uh, surprised us a little bit, actually, was that the cost of switching to no antibiotic production is not as high as you might think. Uh, 
there was even a study uh, of some Purdue facilities that had switched from antibiotics to no antibiotics, and they found that the, the cost was about the same. Um, and and this you you now are actually starting to see in the marketplace. Uh, we sent uh, secret shoppers into 136 stores to take notes on all the products they could find that were raised without antibiotics. And while in general they were a little more expensive than conventional uh, meat and poultry, in some cases they were less expensive than the average. For example, uh, we, at Trader Joe's, we found uh, chicken for $1.29 a pound that was raised without antibiotics. Um, at Whole Foods, they had chicken breasts on sale for $1.99 a pound. And they often, ha- and by the way, I mean, I'm, I'm a shopper, uh, an infrequent, but a sometimes shopper at Whole Foods, and I, I'm constantly amazed at the incredible prices that they get, that they are able to offer um, on sale for products like that. I mean, right. and not just in the poultry department, but in the other departments as well. And the meat is really, really clean. And they have that whole sort of grading system of humane treatment, et cetera. So, right. But at Whole Foods, a, a bottom line entry point criteria is it must be raised without antibiotics. That's true. And then they have, they have various humane treatment criteria on top of that. So you can go into Whole Foods and be confident that everything there is raised without antibiotics. And that's what we think all supermarkets should do. And we are calling on Trader Joe's to be the next chain that goes 100% no antibiotics. Um, They have uh, quite a bit of chicken and beef, uh, not uh, much turkey, and not any pork. We think that they ought to go the whole way and offer their consumers only meat and poultry raised without antibiotics. Yeah, bravo. Well, I'll shop there if they do that. I mean, I think everybody would. I mean, you know, and, and, and just talking about price points, as a, as somebody who, sh- you know, cooks at home, one of those rare people, um, or I shouldn't say that, but I mean, you know, I do cook, right. I do shop, I do see the prices, and I'm amazed, and when I go into conventional supermarkets, a stop and shop, or, you know, local, um, you know, Garden of Eden, or Westside Markets in my area, and, you know, the, the crummy, I mean... You know, the, the factory chickens, shouldn't call it crummy. I'm sorry I said that. Please strike that from the record. Um, but there, it's six ninety nine a pound. Yes. It's really expensive for chicken breasts or even chicken thighs or $4. I mean, and we're not, you're not getting anything special. So if I'm going to pay those kind of prices, I want something special. And obviously, I'm willing to pay it, and other people are too. I mean, people are sort of geared, we're, we're programmed to pay that kind of money. So... So if you want to join our campaign, you can go to www.meetwithoutdrugs.org and sign our petition to Trader Joe's and get updates on on what's going on. Um, There's a nice video that was done by Robbie Kenner, the maker of Food, Inc., the movie, Mm -hmm. um, about the problem that that, uh, explains superbugs. Great. Uh, That's www.meetwithoutdrugs.org. Well... Um, keep that in mind, folks. Unfortunately, Jean, it's one thirty. We have to wrap it up. We didn't get a chance to talk about labeling, which only means that you'll have to come back to talk about that and talk about GMOs. We'll talk about those actually in tandem because that's a big issue and a big controversy. So we'll, sure. you and I will be discussing scheduling about that. Um, next week, folks, we have author Lynn Curry, who will be here to talk about her new book, Pure Beef, which is all about grass-fed beef. It's recipes plus um, some sort of factual information about... Um, the nutritional benefits of grass-fed beef. I, I, you know, I'm hoping to take her in a more political direction than a recipe-driven direction. But 
whatever. I'm sure she'll be very knowledgeable. And um, the week after that, we have Tony Butler coming from Bread and Life, St. John's Bread and Life, which is a wonderful organization in Brooklyn uh, that serves the needy. And we're going to talk about um, people cooking, uh, learning how to cook, like getting more serious about doing their own food and not outsourcing their food production. So this has been a fabulous episode. Jean Halloran, thank you so much. Um, again, go back to that website. It's www.meetwithoutdrugs.org. Yeah, sign the petition, make it happen. We can all, you know, don't wait for Congress, don't wait for the FDA, don't wait for the USDA to protect us because they clearly have no interest in doing so. This has been a fabulous episode. Thank you to White Oak Pastures, my sponsor. Thank you to Joe for being my engineer and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, folks. to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our programs archived on our website or by searching itunes for heritage radio network you can find us on facebook or follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us at info at heritage radio network.org heritage radio network is a non-profit organization to donate and become a member visit our website thanks for listening